What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Yala. Ba, 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 ba. Your thrice weekly podcast where we talk about the hottest news with a touch of what, Terrence? Good old humor. Can't go wrong. Good old humor, man. Yeah. It's the third episode of the week. It's a mm. uh, sunny but rainy, then sunny again Friday. Mm. Yes. Yeah, man. It's yeah. it's uh, it's it's the it's kind of like uh th- this is like uh Singapore's um, version of autumn la, right kind of I guess so la. yeah you know uh entering winter already la, entering winter yeah our winter is our monsoon season la, right that's that's our winter yeah, yeah correct correct but autumn yeah, is yeah, when correct, it's correct. like hot them hot then them cold them hot them cold like interchangeably la, right yeah I mean the past years are fucking hot man like holy shit like step out you can feel the sun on your yeah. neck no and literally it looks like it's gonna rain outside. But it's hot as hell because it's humid and everything. And sometimes it just hangs in the air. Like it doesn't rain for like hours on end. Uh. This is crazy. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I mean, I've never been more grateful for being hairy because I assume <laughs> that it still blocks a little bit of sun from my skin. Uh, I like, see, you know, see, just, just on my neck and all that. I was like, oh shit, this is hot as hell. And then, of course, you see people just up and about who don't have a chance to work from home, which you mm. what we discussed. You're like, oh crap. I forgot how it's like to be in the sunlight uh, head-on for a long time, sir. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, yeah. But yes, cool. Uh, closing in on Deepavali weekend also. Mm, big weekend, right? Big yeah. weekend for, uh, I mean, for yourself, no? Uh, okay lah, okay lah. I okay, think yeah. because uh, I haven't been in, I haven't invited anyone to our house uh, unlike mm. last year, including yourself because I'm going to yeah. see all of y'all at the wedding uh, yeah. or at least my close friends. So oh, I'm so offended. I'm very be... offended. Eh. Like why? I mean, you were my best chance at like attending a Deepavali celebration. Fuck really. you, like, You always <laughs> use me for all these Deepavali goodies and Deepavali festivities. You just come <laughs> for I don't know, I don't know why. So yeah, you're not gonna get it this year. You're not gonna get <laughs> yeah. it this year. You're gonna yeah. wait for next year. You're gonna have to wait for next year. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a it's a it's a long weekend that sort of just crept on crept on to everyone, all right? Yeah, man, long weekend. Yeah. Um, but, but you mean yeah, no big, no so, big celebration for your family as well. I mean, just some family gatherings and all that. Mm. Just one like one, like a small uh, gathering. I mean, over the years also, I think coming off COVID, uh, the gatherings also have have gotten smaller. Uh, mm. so now that's like status quo la, Status. Oh really? Quo. There's no like backlog of like uh oh we haven't celebrated a big one for the last two years. I that's... think for my family, not so much. For certain okay. families, I think God, there's still uh, going to be the Diwali balls and all that kind of stuff la. Diwali. What's Deepa what's a Diwali, Diwali ball? ball? Uh, okay, so, I mean, it's just a celebration. Like. So Diwali and Deepavali, okay, so this is where I might get flamed. Uh, okay. They are two terms referring to the same festival. I don't know yeah. why there's Diwali versus Deepavali. Okay. But in the event that you do hear someone say Diwali, it refers to Deepavali. Okay. Um, but for Cindy's, the term, more common term is Diwali. Like. So it's a Diwali ball. And like, it's a it's a party. Like. It's a party where all oh, the no, yeah, I was asking. I was asking about the ball. What's the ball? Not so much oh. like what is Deepavali or what's Diwali. <laughs> Dude, like fucking, I've lived in Singapore my whole life and you, are, you think I'm asking you what is Deepavali. Come on, man. Hey, you're going to give me a bit people, more credit. We got people who are new to Singapore who listen to this and oh, I'm just yeah. trying to educate them like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Anybody who's like listening to this and doesn't know what Deepavali is, please let us know in the comments no. and thank us. Thank Harish for enlightening us. It's <laughs> not Deepavali, that's Diwali. Are you familiar oh. with the term Diwali or not? D-I-W-A-L-I. My understanding is, 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 is two... Those is a short form. No, no, two terms that are essentially the same thing, right? Yeah, la, something like that. La. Yeah, la, then... Okay, no, I yeah, want to know what the, the... When you said the ball, I was more interested in what, what this ball is. <laughs> you like, explain to me what Deepavali versus Diwali. I'm like, huh? <laughs> no wonder my fiance says sometimes I can be long-winded but anyway mm. the ball the ball is just like this gathering la. and mm. like I mean for the Cindy's they'll have something at Sindhu house which is just like a, a, a clubhouse kind of thing where all the Cindy's come together and hang out I guess mm. and I don't know trade business um, and yeah so so then there will be this kind of balls around Singapore la. it's just a celebration la. so it's yeah. like it's a thing if I go to some oh are you going to a ball this weekend like, yeah, you can ask, you can ask. Okay, so no, really, but you must yeah. say Diwali, you must Diwali say Diwali ball. ball. <laughs> <laughs> no, as in, yeah, I so it's... ball this weekend? Yeah, like, as in, you want, I'm that? asking you what you're saying as like a ball is like commonly understood as, oh, it's a, you're going to a Diwali ball. Because I mean, yeah. I'm saying because 
I don't, you, you ask any Chinese person, oh, Chinese New Year, are you going to a Chinese New Year ball? They'd be like, huh? What, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, for some reason, Diwali ball is the term. I've never heard of a uh, Diwali party, even though okay. that rhymes. Diwali okay, Chinese ball. people, Chinese majority, you all, you all heard it here first. Yeah, Diwali, Diwali ball. ball. Yeah. yeah, if you want to act like you understand like Indian culture, just say, hey, you, did you go to the Diwali ball last weekend? <laughs> no. Ah. Oh, I heard it was great. <laughs> and there's more than one. Ah. There's more than one. It's, it's, not, it's not one ball, ah, right? One ball to rule yeah. them all. It's like multiple. Yeah, la, but Diwali balls just sound a bit weird or so. Ah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. Yeah, how, is, how is the Diwali balls? You know, it just feels, it just sounds, it doesn't, <laughs> communicates a very different message. Oh. Okay, communicates okay. a very different message. Got it. So, so the Pavali, okay, I mean, it's it's going to be a small, more family affair for you. La. Smaller for me, family for me, affair. For me. Okay, got it, yeah, got it. yeah, yeah, correct, got correct. It. Uh, and to everyone else celebrating, have a great weekend, man. And even though yeah. that sounds like we're ending the podcast, we're just beginning. We're just oh, beginning. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I think cool. thing related yeah. to having a great weekend is, uh, mm. uh, I mean, a shameless plug also is to please, uh, you know, check out our TikTok account. A few people know that we have a TikTok account as well. Where we mm. post uh, short clips from this, uh, from, from our podcast, and sometimes we engage in TikTok dances and challenges too. Uh, mm. uh, maybe maybe less in recent months because we we don't meet up as often. But then correct. when we do, we still sometimes do some things on TikTok lah. Yeah, you know, TikTok's, yeah correct, correct. TikTok's the big beast that we're trying to figure out now as uh, two boomers, uh, two TikTok, mil- millennial boomers lah. Yeah, so so yeah, yeah. help us out there. Sweet. All right. Wow, that was a nice light-hearted start to a very, very dark and somber first mm. topic. Mm, yes, um, yes. And and that is the recent announcement by MHA, MHA Ministry of Home Affairs, mm. or, or recent release of three different studies that kind of um, show that the majority of Singaporeans do support the death penalty to a certain extent. Mm, mm, um, right. and this was brought up by uh, Minister Shan Shanmugam uh, who, who just referred to these three studies that were done between 2018 and 2021 uh, and we'll go into the, the differences between the studies and what it covered but uh, yeah that was the gist of it la. literally the title says MHA releases for the first time mm. full studies showing support for death penalty to deter tr- drug trafficking mm. and mm. a lot of the titles were, were, were similar in sound la. Yeah, so, yeah. what made you want to talk about this? Uh? Um, I think it's it's, you know, I I I think the the preconceived notion I had was that when I when I read this uh, when I read this report, it's gonna be it's gonna feel like a lot of propaganda. It's gonna feel like mm. the survey was rescued towards one answer. Uh, it's very it's gonna feel like uh, obviously this is the right the. The results they they arrived at because of the way they conducted the survey, but mm. you know the the results surprised me. Uh. it wasn't exactly that way. Yeah, is it the I results thought, of going through the readings and all? Is it? Yeah, the results of you actually, reading it. Yeah, the results. Are, how I felt after I read it actually surprised me. Uh. Yeah, so I thought, okay, this might be interesting to talk about since you know death penalty and all uh, and drug trafficking for drug trafficking in Singapore uh, is a hot topic these days, like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say you? like. Uh, I mean, when I first saw the title, specifically that title, uh, uh, for the first time, full studies showing support, I would say if there wasn't the releases for the first time full studies, uh, yeah, la, my, my initial thought would be like, okay, that it's another survey uh, mm. that is just polling this random group of a thousand people, don't know when, maybe at the height of COVID, saying mm. they support the death penalty. La. But then, like you also, I, I looked through the reports and I mean, when I saw the title, I was like, okay, releases for the first time full studies. That means we're gonna have access to the actual final report, like, which I don't recall mm. that happening very often for topics like this. Mm. Um mm. so click through it took me a while to find a link to the website uh through the articles. Yep. Um I think it was only uh CNA that put the article link the the, the mm. link to the research papers in the article. Straight yeah. times Actually, today. Uh, yeah, you mentioned it, it's something that annoys me a lot, huh? Is that it's fucking annoying all these, uh, yeah. news sites? Yeah, they they make it so hard for you to or at least they don't want you to get off the site, I think. So they might they might hyperlink the you know Ministry of Home Affairs. But you click that and then it goes to other other articles on the same site about Ministry of Home Affairs rather than about, you know, the, the actual survey itself, like, which has its own yeah. hyperlink, like, right? Yeah, exactly. So shout out to CNA for doing something that the readers want. And for mm. today and straight times, like, yo, man, 
you, you, we have to Google it and then go to the publications page of Ministry of Home yeah. Affairs and you very well know where the reports are. What yeah. is wrong about putting a link there? You scared, you scared is it? People will, will read through and uh, challenge you all. No, they so, scared yeah. people will click, click away from their own, their own Oh, click away from the website. That's the main thing. So I'm like, oh God, come on, please. Yeah, I mean, if you're But then you open it in a new tab, lah, so people will still come back to your website when they a, uh, systematically go through the tabs. Yeah, and especially in, in interest, uh, public interest affairs like that, yeah. I think it's important, lah, right? Yeah. But anyway, yeah. back to your point. Yeah, so so I mean, at a high level, essentially, some of the, the stats that were kind of, uh, uh, how you say, uh, uh, referred to was, okay, so let's see, yeah. Uh, uh, there was one study by the IPS Institute of Policy Studies in 2020 mm. that found that 74% of 2,000 Singapore residents and PRs agree or strongly agreed with the use of death penalty for the most serious crimes. 58.6% mm. mm. were in favor of retaining the death penalty and 53% supported the death penalty in general. And only 22% mm. expressed that they do not approve the death penalty in all instances. Mm. Um so then, I mean, this study uh, kind of differentiated between the death penalty for intentional murder, drugs, or use of firearms with the intention of causing uh, injury. Then, that was the first study. Should I just like, run through overall for yeah. all three? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Then there was a RSD study, which was the... By... Okay, there was the IPS, the RSD... So RSD is the Research and Statistics Division of the Ministry of Home Affairs. Mm. That was done in 2021. There were 2,000 citizens that, and PRs that were surveyed and 73.7% agreed that the death penalty should be used for the most serious crimes while those who disagreed, 11.2%. Yep, yep. So again, the same three for intentional firearms and drug trafficking was 80.5%, 65.6%, 71%. Mm. Then, uh, so so those were the two studies, and then the third study. Let's see, yeah. Uh, okay, so those were the two main studies that were quoted in this article, uh. Mm -hmm. uh, just for completeness, the other, the 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 third, the third study that was not quoted was something by the Home Team Behavioral Sciences Center of the Ministry of Home Affairs, uh. So this was done in twenty eighteen. Mm -hmm. So very similar sentiments, like I won't go into the details, but essentially, if you look at the numbers, you look at the stats. Yeah. There is oh, majority support for not only the death penalty, but death penalty for um drugs. Lah. Yeah. I mean not not to be a stickler yeah. for numbers, lah, right? But in fact mm. I'm gonna not be a stickler for numbers, but I think generally just by going through or just a cursory glancing through of the statistics, you the understanding is around seventy percent, at least seventy percent of of Singaporeans agree with the with the various ways uh with the various laws about the death penalty that we have in Singapore, right? Generally. Yeah, correct, correct, correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it might be a very general statement, but what what yeah, what you hear, what you see is basically there's a seems to be a majority, right, that are agreeing with Singapore's the Singapore authorities' stance on death penalty for for various uh serious crimes, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I mean supplementing that is also uh the oh so the first, the third study that I mentioned, the MHA mm. study, was something that was done in 2018, uh, no, 2021, which found that six, about 70% of respondents mm. from regional countries also felt mm. that the death penalty is more effective than life, life imprisonment. And there was a survey mm. of like 7,000 respondents from countries in the region where many arrested drug traffickers have come from in recent years. Mm. Mm, so right. there was internal within Singapore, but there was also seven thousand respondents respondents from around the region that kind of echoed that one sentiment that Terence just mentioned. Like that about seventy percent agree about the death penalty as some form of uh, punishment for the drug trafficking. Mm, mm, that's right. Yeah. So um, I mean, when you read those stats, when you read seventy percent and all, same thing. Like you can imagine that oh, it's very very uh, how you say ah. Uh, just some some who knows about the questions. But mm. the reports are, one report is nine pages and this is like hardcore academic reports. Yeah. One is 18 pages and another one is 16 pages. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. But as you went through, like what, what stuck out to you? Uh? Um, there wasn't, yeah, there were, um, I'm not saying that it was bulletproof, right? 
But mm. uh, in terms of the methodology or, or like like what you said, questions asked and all that, uh, I didn't have that much of a bone to pick with a lot of it. Lah. The way mm. they were phrasing and asking questions and, and being quite specific and quite, uh, you know, uh, about what they were asking also. I, I thought, okay, it seems like they checked the boxes lah, such that, uh, you know, even if someone came in with a more skeptical eye like 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 I did, uh, I would be okay. This, th- these are the these are literally the results like, of a, of a, of this survey like, right? And, mm. and I, I don't I don't doubt the you know the authenticity of of the survey and everything. It's just um, I I suppose it's uh, what was, you know, what was interesting was that uh, I also just reading a lot of the comments online was that yeah Similarly, a lot of people also felt okay. This is essentially what the situation is now. Lah, and these are the stats to back it up. So you can't really criticize or say that it was very unfair, unfairly done or what. Lah. Yeah. So so that's yeah. the general sentiment that I was getting from, from people online. Lah. How about you? Um, I mean, yeah, reading through it, it does get quite technical. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, mean, I don't think we need to go through the exact questions, but it it's, does seem quite substantial to someone like a lay, lay researcher to me. Lah. Yeah. Um, and at least more so than other studies that we have seen or heard of. Um, yeah. but, but I mean, yeah, same thing when I was looking at sentiments online or even my own thoughts is like, uh, one question was that, uh, okay, so this is clearly in response to a lot of scrutiny, not only from Singaporeans, but also from the international community. Mm. Uh, as a result of some high profile uh, cases uh, in, from Singapore in the past few years. Yeah. Um, and I mean, uh, Okay, so it is it is a substantial study. I know some people were criticizing that. Of course, lah, depending on the questions you can ask or who you ask, you will get these answers. Or, mm. or if you're looking for an answer, you can, uh, you can you can phrase the questions and all that. But then when you look at the report, okay, it feels quite substantial. But certain things that stuck out to me was when you're talking about regional countries, right? Mm. Um, based on what I found, there aren't many countries in Southeast Asia that don't have the death penalty. Mm, um, mm. I think at this point it is only uh, East Timor and the mm. Philippines. Yeah. Uh, I know Duterte has his own death policy, but that's, that's I think separate from the death penalty. I from what I understand. So if you're asking people from countries who come from uh, uh but, people who come from countries with the death penalty, mm. it's almost like would you do a similar survey for people who don't who come from countries without the death penalty? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought okay maybe that is the next piece of the puzzle that I hope there can be some research on like, because this one almost feels like like you know the thing about the uh, death penalty is an effective deterrent Yeah. I mean I would also say that I agree that it is the best uh, it is a good deterrent mm-hmm. but there are, I think Brunei has this law that you can get your hand cut off if you are caught stealing mm-hmm. that's a good deterrent but yeah. is it the 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 best deterrent to have. Yeah. So that's why when I, when I hear, hear statements are like good deterrent, of course it's a good deterrent. Like nobody wants to die. I think mm. someone on Reddit also shared a link to some long interview with his uh, ex-Kingpin or something and he said even when they're thinking strategically about which countries to go into, if there's a death penalty in that country, chances are they would they would deprioritize it, like, which is understandable. Like. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah, so that was one uh, question that came up. Like. Yeah. And, and, and I think... Uh, Looking through the results, I, I realized like maybe what was happening in my own head was that you know you you're trying to if you're trying to uh sort of project your own ethical or moral stance on these results, right? Then you would generally uh, definitely see it a certain way, lah. Um, mm. But if the truth is that you know the, a lot of Singaporeans or Singapore residents have uh. I mean, have basically come to an agreement with uh, what the propaganda says as well, right? That they've been mm. convinced of the propaganda. Then uh, it is it is true uh, that the majority do support the death penalty. And uh, I think that's uh, what, what the situation is. Will uh, is going to be a separate kind of discussion from what the ethics of a death penalty, you know, supporting a death penalty mm. is, uh, right? You know, mm. uh, like, like you said, uh, you know, is it a deterrent? Obviously, it's a deterrent. Any kind of punishment will be a some sort of deterrent to to committing a crime, lah, right? But is to what extent is it a better deterrent than 
then uh you know life imprisonment or what i think uh i, I think this survey also also covers that lot, right uh, that that's uh, i think that's more a moral ethical question also that needs to people need to square off first uh you know but if the case is that the majority here does support uh does support the use of the death penalty for for all these instances mentioned right um then you would imagine why it's so the government or the authorities should be so uh, adamant about keeping the the law as it is, in spite of all the international pressure to change it, Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and yeah. the pressure doesn't come from just activists. Uh. the pressure comes from the fact that in places like Thailand, they they recently legalized uh, marijuana use, right? For example, mm-hmm. so that kind of pressure yeah. is not just the pressure of like, oh, don't you know, don't be evil. It's the pressure of why are you, why are you like such a backwater country? you know, uh, in terms of uh, legalizing drugs versus your neighbors like uh, in Thailand, uh, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that's where like, because um, I mean, yeah, it's funny you say, I was recently at some event where there was uh, someone who was like in her 40s with two kids and uh, she was like, you know, I, I, I can't believe Thailand legalized uh, cannabis, you know, I have, mm. I have two kids and this is horrible, you know, just terrible. So like what you said, mm. I can imagine someone who is reacting that way when there's talk of potentially like abolishing the death penalty, which is uh like a, a, a deterrent to drug mm. crime. You might even move your stance on like, you like, oh fuck no, man, we're keeping it because now it's almost at the edge. You know, like previously you hear about drug drug being legal in Amsterdam and LA, it feels so far away. But then mm. now it's just there. Mm. It's just there. Um, yeah. you can get on a flight, you can take some drugs and come back. Mm. You know? Um so so I think, yeah, like, uh, that's where, I mean, it's okay. It's still, like, if you look at the fact that they're releasing the full studies, I think it's still a good thing, mm-hmm. right? Where people who are skeptical can can go in and look. But, I mean, it, then it becomes a, a question because I know some people were rebutting online saying, oh, if you're saying 70% support something means that's the way to go, you do a poll on GST lah. How many people want to increase GST? If yeah. 70% don't want to increase, then, okay, is that the right thing to do? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. But but that's a so, yeah So I mean, when you see something like that, it's also a that kind of what if kind of argument. Uh, no, yeah, not what if like Like uh, how about a kind of argument lah, right? Where mm. like yeah, you you Which criticize is like something in Singapore. No, I mean the what aboutism lah, right? You know, you call it that. Where basically, if you you say, yeah, you know, in Singapore, cost of living is is so terrible, it's crazy. And how about then they they rebut you. I mean, looking at Singapore, how about this other place? You know, like San Francisco, or whatever, even even crazier, and all that. You know, so so it's just this endless spiral of just comparing yourself to to uh you know worse off places, so that so that just to just to make your try to make the argument invalid lah, which is I think it's mm. not a very productive way of of uh talking about how to make things better. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like oh yeah. you know you think Singapore sucks? How about this other place? You know. Then, then you'll be grateful for Singapore rather than like focusing on okay, how can we make Singapore better rather than talk about how Singapore is already better than another place, like right? Yeah, 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 correct, correct. Like, I mean, there was one research paper that I I chanced upon by reading of all uh websites, coconuts, mm. coconuts. Um, mm-hmm. that pointed to this twenty eighteen study from NUS. Uh, that that they I think they took a, a I mean the the results kind of showed so, okay people still support. Uh, the death penalty if you're looking at a general statement but mm. they differentiated between say mandatory and discretionary death penalty mm. even for drugs mm. Mm. so like one of the findings um, there's also a 117 page report um, but one of the stats that in the in the summary was um, less than half supported the mandatory death penalty for each of those three offenses namely mm. drugs intentional murder and use of firearms with with an intent to hurt um mm. But more than half supported the discretionary death penalty. Mm, mm, mm. I think right now, the, maybe there's not enough focus on the fact that the, it's either mandatory or not. Yeah. Uh, especially for drugs. Like, especially for drugs. So what you're um, saying is I, that mandatory means that it's the moment the amount of drugs you traffic are above a yeah. certain threshold. Regardless of the circumstances of that, you uh, basically you're execute, you face a death penalty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Discretionary yeah. So, is 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 saying that uh, it, it's not so it's not so binary. It's not so one and zero. It's just yeah. not so black and white. It's more they look at the overall circumstances. What how you know maybe how much drugs you're carrying and 
and and in the the overall circumstances rather how close you are to the to being the the drug kingpin and all that then then in those cases like the the judge decides your your sentence like right yeah yeah and this is coming from like mr black and white no or at least up to a few years ago mm-hmm. um where i also prefer binary shit right yeah. like this whole thing about oh you know gray in between and all but it just felt like, because I mean, even in recent years, we have seen cases of like a mother with six kids in KL who's, you know, struggling to survive and has been coerced into becoming a drug mule, getting mm. the death penalty. Then just hypothetically, if there's a legit like drug supplier who's, you know, like trying to establish a syndicate in Singapore or Malaysia, he gets caught for the same amount. They both get the same sentence. Yeah. Feels like, like even without, without any room for 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 something something else it feels like wow that's that feels like uh it, maybe we should think more about that kind of stuff la. so mm, I appreciated mm. this report because it kind of looked at nuances like that la. yeah yeah that's true yeah um, and, but and also some people did raise the point that uh I think this survey itself the pe- the fact that people uh you know are, are thinking that uh, survey think that it's a good deterrent means that it is a it is a good deterrent already la. the fact that you know it's drummed into people's heads and 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 they can uh, literally articulate it it has that means what they've set out to do what the government set out to do when they in- instituted this mandatory death penalty is a good deterrent la. it is working la, you know because we always hear mm. about oh it's so hard to how do you prove that something a deterrent uh you know how many like like you can't really calculate how many crimes could have happened if there wasn't this law, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I think this is, as a metric, it's, a, it's an easy way to see that, oh, okay, this is the number of people who even, uh, yeah, like they've even heard, they know about the this death penalty in Singapore already, and that itself is is an effective deterrence already. Yeah, la. exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so, I mean, no, man, it's a, yeah, that's why I, I'm like, uh, you know, I was on that. I think I started off on that, on that slightly skeptical bandwagon, but then towards the end of it, not not that I, I changed my mind about uh, the ethical and and moral side of things, but I, I see that okay, now there seems to be a lot of there seems to be a lot of data telling me that if I go to go and talk to ten people outside, probably seven of them would be saying, "Yeah, I support the death penalty." Yeah. Mm. Okay, so so I will. I'm, I need to correct myself because I was mm. just uh, thinking like, "Oh shit, Duterte, um, is it?" Duterte is no, no longer... As in, oh, okay. actually, uh, uh, um, apparently in 2012, Singapore mm. actually did amend our laws to replace mandatory death penalty regime for drug trafficking with a discretionary sentencing regime under certain conditions. Mm, mm. So I correct myself. And what were those conditions? Um, I mean, I'm trying to, trying to find them out now. One of the conditions okay, with respect okay. to drug trafficking was that the convicted trafficker had to be granted a certificate by the public prosecutor stating that the trafficker had provided substantive assistance that led to the disruption of drug trafficking activities. Oh, so basically, mm, if, if you cooperate. are caught drug trafficking, yeah, you have to you have to cooperate, lah. Uh, I see, um, I see. Got it. So, so I think I think yeah. Uh, so maybe it's just the, the the questioning the nuance because why I I caught wind of this was because one of the reports actually highlighted that about 54% of the respondents for one of the surveys didn't know about the discretionary death penalty for drug-related offences. Mm. So up till a minute ago, I was part of the 54%. Mm, so so I, yeah, I got to <laughs> correct myself. So there is a certain level of discretion, but it's just mm. under certain conditions. La. But I think yeah. like philosophically, if you're asking people, it's still a worthwhile question. La. You know? Yeah. yeah, Because if you ask me my thoughts on death, mandatory death penalty for drug trafficking versus intentional murder that one also will be different right you know yeah and i mean in recent times uh you know there have been certain uh crimes that have taken place in singapore where i read read about them and i was like oh my god these people like if there's if, if there's a maximum punishment that we can give to them we should absolutely give to them like you know mm-hmm. there are some cases of like child abuse and, and and yeah even domestic helper abuse that are really gruesome really difficult to read and you read that and then you're like Wow, this is way worse than what a drug traffic the damage that a drug trafficker could do could do la. But mm. you know, um that's just how the law is, la, right? Where we're not it's not based on on, on emotion or sentiment. It's it's really yeah. based on it has to follow the letter of the law. So uh, you know, it 
uh, right now that's where that's where our laws are, and that's it does seem like yeah, there is quite quite an overwhelming um public support for it, uh. But uh, yeah. just just a question like um, why do you think it is that uh the timing of this release lah, uh, right? Um, mm. do you think there's a specific reason for the timing of this release now? Uh, like like because I I think you know we we've even spoken about Shamugam going on BBC's hard talk and all that and having to even defend Singapore's stance, very tough stance on on uh, drug uh, drug trafficking lah. So mm. is that is this release in response to all this uh pressure from internationally and from Thailand and all, or is it more about the domestic the fact that there are you know, uh, there are people who don't agree with it and they are quite vocal about their disagreement with the death penalty. Uh, I mean, Singapore I think it's probably, it's probably a mix because um, like so far this past year feels like there's been a lot of of um, uh, activity in the international space targeted towards Singapore about our drug-related uh, policies. Like, and I think it's even last month, there were two statements, one by the UK-based International Bar Association's Human yeah. Rights Institute and Switzerland-based International Commission of Jurists yeah. calling for Singapore to place a moratorium on executions with a view to abolish the death penalty. So I think this year feels like more so than than last few years. There's a lot of mm. attention. So I think there's that. Then there's the legalization of uh, cannabis in Thailand. Um, mm. So I don't know, man. I, th- I think I think it's just a it's a it's it's a sign of the times. Or like, I wouldn't say it's a Perfect timing, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Did, did you have any? Did you have any no, theory? Think, remember the remember there was a very interesting comment when we uh we made a podcast about Vogue Singapore uh, uh having their license uh like the the application for a one year license uh revoked and then they had to reapply for a shorter license, mm. and then there was a comment yeah. on Reddit where someone pointed out that Vogue Singapore had a very uh very stylish magazine uh, very stylish spread la about uh, anti-death penalty activists in Singapore, right? Mm. Where they, they, you know, they, they photographed and interviewed, uh, I think, Kirsten Han, uh, Constance Singham, and, and, and one more activist. I, I, you know, I can't remember the name, but I, I did read the article. Uh, and then subs- mm. immediately there was a, there was a, a response from the MHA to that article as well, uh, right? So, uh, I mean, I think in the Reddit, there was some spec that, that you know, the, there may be some chatter or speculation that, that this uh, this uh, also caused Vogue Singapore to, to lose the license. But I, I mean, it, it could be a completely separate issue. La. But I think the point is that um, MHA is also feeling like, hey, there's this um, almost, a, I mean, it does feel like a glamorization of this uh, anti-death penalty stance going on as well in mm. Singapore, right? Vogue mm-hmm. Singapore, literally in a fashion magazine, you know, that these people are being, prof- these activists are being profiled. So maybe to to really try and lay the lay 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 the ground lay the groundwork and the facts of of uh of the argument. That's why they're they're putting this out there now, mm. I think yeah. another thing also, which I just found out uh before this was that in in for, on fourteen September around that time, right? Malaysia actually decided to end the death penalty. Did oh. you know that? Uh, yeah, no, no, no. It was I, first, I read about it, but I forgot. Yeah, yeah, it was first mentioned in June where it was tabled, mm. and mm. apparently on 13 September the government decided to replace the mandatory death penalty with alternative punishment. Um, mm. so they they as agreed in principle, um, mm. to the proposal to substitute sentences for 11 offenses carrying the death penalty. So yeah, mm. so so Malaysia. So I mean, that's where you can imagine like uh, there is momentum gathering. Uh, you mm. you saw that we repealed three seven seven A, right? It was yeah. many years in yeah. the making. Uh, we were looking at other democracies or other Asian countries lifting or repealing it. So I can imagine there being kind of heat, lah. Okay, so what's Singapore mm. going to do? What's Singapore going to do? Then now yeah. it's like, yo, man, we spoke to the people. We mm. spoke mm. to the people. Yeah, if you want to change anything, come and run for elections. Come and run. Yeah, for, come and run for elections. <laughs> you can change, but you got to be yeah. in the parliament. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think now more than ever, if you have never really had a perspective on the death penalty, it's maybe just worth thinking about. Uh, because I mean, ultimately, mm. it's one of those things that that we do need to figure out as a society. Like, I feel. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just I mean, yeah, just 
just just have have a have a think have a think maybe this after you listen to this podcast or after this topic in particular just pause it and think but of mm. course come back and finish the rest of the podcast like but just yeah, think that's right have a think, think about man. it man and of course yeah. if you have comments like you know already just go on and and holler there man yeah because uh, death penalty is always tricky yeah always tricky. speaking of uh, speaking of international pressure right yes uh, one of one of our institutions in singapore is also facing some uh international pressure to do the mm. right thing mm. and what is this what is this institution we're talking about the institution is the asian civilizations museum um mm. and apparently there's a cambodian team uh that is like just hunting down museums around the world trying to retrieve um what it says are lost national artifacts um mm. and and trying to get it back lah and and not say they're yeah. just going in and you give it back to us i mean they are looking at licensing and and loaning mm. but to just reclaim what they feel is rightly theirs lah um mm. Mm. and That's i right. think yeah there was a singapore the the Singapore Asian Civilizations Museum did get in, uh, contacted by the team and mm. the, they apparently defended their acquisition uh, of a Nepalese religious sculpture la, mm. which they bought from a supposedly uh, 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 improper uh, artifact collector. Mm. So, mm. so this was, I mean, like it, this was just interesting, but, but what made you want to talk about it? La? <laughs> I guess it's uh they they I think I, I think as more of uh, the developing countries around Southeast Asia, even ourselves, you know, you know, as a very young country, are coming to terms with our our history as a colonial as a as a once a colonial outpost and everything like right. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. then now we're modernizing and starting to realize that hey, you know, there are there's so much of our history that uh has also been taken from us forcefully, right? Mm. And and if those pieces of our history in terms of artifacts, cultural artifacts, you know, are now residing, you know, in other uh countries that took them that that where the you know the, the authorities or the, the people of, of that country took them by force, right? Or, mm. or even like like stole them or something like that. Is there a moral obligation for us to is there a moral obligation for them to return these artifacts, lah. Uh, even even though they've they've done a you know even done they've done a good job of of preserving it and, and putting out putting it out there in public for people to 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 look at and appreciate, lah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and even if this procured through you know like like uh, legal means as well, uh, is there a moral obligation for these institutions to return these artifacts? Because I think for for this case in this case the Cambodia is uh, the team from Cambodia. It's basically it's on a it's not just Singapore, but it's on a global quest, lah, right? To mm. uh, retrieve all these national artifacts, uh, to home, lah. So other countries like Japan, Korea, Taiwan are also are also included, where you know where they want to look at all these uh di- different Cambodian antiquities, and uh, it's not just looking at the actual artifact itself, but to also look at any invoices, any documentation that that really uh you know gives you a clue of how the how it was procured and, and whether it was done through legal legal means and all that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean it, it's it's a it's a I think it's a uh, uh yeah, when any any country uh that has a museum or that they probably will come up with some kind of some of these moral quandaries. Uh. Yeah. So I mean okay, what's what's your relationship with museums uh, over the years? Over the years, what do you mean? Like yeah, like do you like museums? Do you dislike museums? Do you think they are boring as fuck? Uh, I mean, no, no, no. I, I think museums have a very important place in in any country, any country's uh, you know, uh, cultural makeup because they they do a job that often we we forget that it's very important, like the archival and the archiving and 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 you know, uh, education of uh the people about their past and their history and all that, like right. Mm, mm, so mm. I, I, you know, especially now with a kid and all, like you know, all the places that I used to. To think, oh, it's really nice to go to a museum for a date and things like that. Now they become, oh, it'd be nice to bring my kid to a museum to see uh, a bit of history that, that he might not be aware of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's my general uh, relationship with museums. How about you? Why, why, why are you asking this question specifically? 
because I grew up not liking museums. I was like, why? Why you want to? I never used to like history. I never used to like museums. I'm like, uh, yeah, you know, it's just I uh, in the past, blah, blah. But then I grew to love museums. I think one turning point was, uh, in the when I went to London for the first time uh, in uni, mm. and I went to the British Museum, and I was like, holy shit, this is damn cool. Um, mm. and I went to the Smithsonian and all that. But it was also around that time where, uh, someone I can't remember who kind of. Uh, like there was some conversation that made me realize, oh shit! Like these things is like an Egyptian mummy that's ten thousand years old. Um, mm. how come it's in the British Museum? Then, mm. uh, then I just started. I mean, I never dived deep into it, but it always struck me as like, okay, um, these museums they have cultural artifacts of other cultures. Uh, I'm guessing it wasn't done like a like how what was that process like? If you have a ten thousand mm. year old mummy. Like the oldest mummy that has ever been found, but it's in the mm. British Museum. Ah, uh, why is it there? So then, over the years, um, I came to realize, okay, like the whole the whole ecosystem of museums also feels like, wow, there's a lot of things that goes on in the background, like. But it was mm. almost always in the West, like you know, the British Museum, the Smithsonian, the traditional mm. colonial powers, like. But then when I saw this article, mm. I was like, oh shit. Uh, I mean, even Singapore, we have our own Asian Civilizations Museum, and it does have yeah. artifacts from around the region, like. They're like, oh mm-hmm. shit! How were these? How were these uh, uh, acquired, like? Then, yeah. then, yeah. So, so then, I also totally agree. I think museums have an amazing place in 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 society, and I think they they should be cherished. But mm. chances are, there's a lot of things going on in the background, man. Yeah, it's almost like yeah. I want to say, is it like zoos? No, like. But there's a certain element of like, hmm, okay, this, is this supposed to be here or should it be in the country uh, uh, of origin? Yeah, so that's right. my, been my relationship with museums. Yeah, yeah I, I think, uh, uh, yeah, it, so it begs the question also like, is, you know, these artifacts are national treasures, right? And mm-hmm. even you, you, you consider them uh, international treasures in a way because let's say that British Museum is visited by a lot of people, a lot of tourists, and it might be the one and only time they actually uh, get to see uh, some of these artifacts as well, mm, right? Mm, and, you mm, know, mm. and uh, you can't deny that you know they these institutions have you know because of their history and everything, they have a lot more easy access to funding, and even down to like the procedures of taking care of all these artifacts and all that, right? Mm. They might be better or they might be the experts or something like that. So, but if you were to, you know, leave it in the original country uh, or the or the the place that it was taken from, uh, it might not, for various reasons, uh, right? Whether it's political, social upheaval or just, just not as, uh, they're just not as advanced in taking care of all these uh, ancient artifacts, uh, right? It could mm. be subject to a lot of, uh, it could one day be, be, Destroy lah. If not, if not, uh, just wear and tear or whatever, and it'll be gone forever lah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so is it a better thing that there's someone who knows how to take care of it that's taking care of it now? Uh, but it still, it still, it, it could still one day be returned to the country lah, right? Yeah, um, yeah. The the question is yeah lah. Do you does it need to happen now or what lah, right? Yeah. I I'm, I'm only saying this because I I think um I believe I. The, when, there was a time that I traveled to I think Myanmar if I'm not wrong and uh, and there were there were certain um, certain very historic uh, is, is, is it historic, historical uh, locales within Myanmar that I was surprised that they weren't like you know on the uh, uh, what was the World Heritage List like, right Mm, uh, UNESCO, UNESCO World yeah, UNESCO World Heritage list la, as compared to something about botanic gardens. Then I realized it's because there were there, are, you know, I think there there was talks of, of it being on the World Heritage list and, and all these uh, this historical site being on the World Heritage list. But because of what the locals had been doing to the to the ancient statues and artifacts, or not taking care of them properly, or, or making modifications to them, that such that they you know, uh, they couldn't qualify to be on the UNESCO World Heritage List. La. As mm. in, there had been additions, there had been modifications done to the, the original site itself, la, right? Yeah. So it's no longer what it was before. It no longer is reflects of uh, the, the, the the actual heritage and history of the place. 
so they couldn't yeah. enter it in the world heritage list. So it made me realize, you know, yeah, even mm. if sometimes if you leave the artifact in its original country, it's actually less well taken care of than if it's not in the original country, right? Yeah, and I mean, this is a good point because the worst example was in 2014 and 2015 in Iran. Um, mm. You know, the mm. the city of Palmyra, um, that's mm. in uh, Iraq, sorry. Uh, mm. wait, pa- Palmyra, uh, Syria, fuck, shit, sorry. Mm. The, the, the ancient city of Palmyra, uh, in, which mm. is in Syria, which used to function as a Roman trading outpost, um, there were 28 buildings that were blown up by ISIS as they waged mm. a cultural war. Mm. Right? Mm. So, I mean, of course, that is an extreme, extreme uh, version, but there's also the benefit that museums can bring by really protecting these, these, these artifacts. Like, I guess where the issue arises is like if they say they own it and then here's mm. a country that, uh, that comes because think for example, the Asian Civilized Museum, the ACM in Singapore, right? The, mm. There was this um, artifact, this 400-year-old uh, religious artifact that was allegedly stoned from Nepal in 1999 mm. um, that was found to be located in the ACM in Singapore, uh. So mm-hmm. the Lost Arts of Nepal, which is this group, uh, this initiative, kind of contacted CNA and said, yo, give us back our shit. But then, mm-hmm. uh, no, not uh, the contacted the museum. But then the museum proved that uh, they acquired it legally via whatever processes are the threshold of established, established processes, yeah. are international established processes. Established processes. Yeah. yeah. And then that the object is not listed in the art loss register. So, I mean, mm-hmm. okay, la, it's, not, it's not listed in the art loss register, but you can imagine like countries like uh, that maybe were not as developed as the countries that do have these artifacts. Mm-hmm. What I mean is like, fuck these processes, like, you know, uh, things yeah. were stolen. Yeah. How the hell are we going to register uh, with, with, the, with, with the processes that are already in place? Like? So it feels like, wow, this can be tricky. And the ACM actually has returned something before. In 2015, mm-hmm. they returned mm-hmm. to India an 11th century bronze sculpture believed to have been illegally removed from the country. Mm. Yeah. So they purchased that from a defunct uh, New York gallery accused of uh, a smuggling operation. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I so mean, it's, that's where I'm like, uh, I think it's, it's, it's not always a slam dunk case to me that, you know, uh, oh, if, if a country insists that it's theirs, it has to, be, it has to be returned to them, right? Yeah. Um, right, right. But you, you kind of need to examine what the processes in acquiring the the artifact and uh what going forward how is the artifact going to be protected and all because uh, yeah. i think that that's the basic responsibility you would have as a museum to to whatever comes under your charge you kind of got to treat it like your own your own uh little baby like right that you need to take care of and, and make sure even if you send it off someone else is taken care of also la. yeah i mean literally yeah. if you if you adopt a child you just don't go to a developing country and like yo man you're mine <laughs> There's a yeah. there are processes in place, la. Uh, yeah. So, so I just found it interesting that wow, even the Singapore Museum not free, which is understandable because it does have old shit, la. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was just hmm. Okay, then, and I can imagine the the processes being so deep and so many things to skirt around. Like any museum that has any artifact, uh, like what are the odds of it actually coming from the country of the museum, la? Mm, mm, yeah, right. That's right. So yeah. probably this. I mean, it feels like have there been movies? They've probably been made movies about this. Was National Treasure anything about this? Or oh, that one is uh, totally different. Uh? I the Nicholas Cage. Uh, yeah, it's a slightly different thing. Like. It's more about it's more Da Vinci Codeish than anything. Like. But I mean, Indiana ah, I Jones see. obviously. So Indiana that. Jones. Indiana Jones was about uh, an archaeologist going around collecting. You know, like I mean, he's like, almost like a more like a a bounty hunter kind of like, right? And he's collecting mm. all these artifacts and saying that they belong in museums, you know, and he's taking that, literally taking them from the, from the original uh, countries they were from, right? Mm. And insisting that they belong in museums, which is some kind of, it is some kind of a cultural, uh, it's, it's a bit of a cultural heist as well, right? When Indiana Jones does that. So, mm. don't know, man. It's a, it's a, it's a tricky thing, uh, tricky thing to to wrap your head around. And and maybe but the interesting thing is probably some of these returning of these uh cultural artifacts and all is also part of uh diplomacy between countries, uh, right? Mm. Uh, you know, 
oh, you know, to celebrate relationship, the relations mm-hmm. between Singapore and India, you know, we're also going to return this artifact, blah, blah. So it can be used for diplomatic purposes as well. So next time if uh, I go to your house, I'll steal something. Then like yeah. two years later, when we have a disagreement, I'll be like, okay, you know what, Terrence? Here's <laughs> this uh, picture frame that I took yeah. four years ago. Um, I mean, I acquired it, you know, you, yeah. it, it was just there. I took it, but as yeah. a show of goodwill, I'm yeah. giving back the picture frame that I found in your house. Yeah. But as long as you add on the, the you know, being allow, uh, allowing me to visit for Deepa Valley, la, then yeah, la, then it'll be all square. <laughs> <laughs> That's all the, the, the Deepa Valley goodies. Yeah. yeah. The TNCs, uh, the TNCs. Yeah, yeah, correct. But yeah. Correct. So it's just yeah, it's just one aspect of museums that never occurred to me until I was older la. I was like, oh correct, shit, correct. that's no, interesting. I, I I do believe in a hundred years will be you know the people will be reckoning with like, eh, how come our ancestors really like they all thought like things like zoos and aquariums good, were uh. were okay, you know, to imprison other other beings and to, you know for your own benefit and all and for your own entertainment if anything. How yeah. how, how did they possibly? How could they even build like this? institution this uh, this like uh, compound to do this and then and people literally paid money to come and see all these prisoners like you know yeah I, I think in 100 years will be the our our uh, descendants will be reckoning with that uh. I mean yeah. that that legitimately happened in the in with the concept of human zoos because you know as we're doing mm. research for mm. our our zoo themed uh, animated TV series I came mm. across like human zoos which was known as yeah. ethnological expositions where mm. they just brought like people from primitive countries in the 19th mm. centuries and they put them in like uh, wooden fences and people paid to go observe them. So there's a bunch yeah. of like dark-skinned people around a fire and you're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So 70 years later, we're like, hey, this is fucking fucked up. Like, this is shit. Um, yeah. Or even, yeah, more than that, sorry. Uh, first public human exhibition was in 1835. Yeah. So... So you look at you like that's fucked up. So yeah, maybe in a hundred years people will be like, hmm, yeah. okay, this that's fucked up what you guys did. Pieces yeah. of shit. So yeah, it's I think it's it's food for thought lah, Right, every time you go to a museum or a zoo and everything, uh, I think a good thing to think about is like where your where your money is going and so like, Is it towards conservation and 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 all that, or is it mm-hmm. you know going towards acquiring uh, artifacts or animals illegally? You know, I think mm-hmm. that's something important to try and read up about lah. Yeah, yeah, correct. So next time you're at a oh. museum and the tour guide's giving a great thing, everyone's having the best time of their life, you put up your hand and say, excuse me, can I know how you got this artifact? Do you have yeah. the relevant permissions and yeah. uh, licenses to display it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and be yeah, that person. Even goes beyond all these kind of cultural artifacts as well, right? You know, for example, our Natural History Museum, we have like a dinosaur, dinosaur skeleton and everything, right? Mm. I think two dinosaur mm. skeletons. And I think what I learned was that, um, yeah, even the procuring of those, of those uh, dinosaur skeletons, it's a very, uh, it's fraught with a lot of, uh, uh, you know, discussions about, you know, where was the dinosaur skeleton found, who owns it, and and who's allowed to sell it, who's not, who's allowed to buy it, and things like that, mm. so, so it's a it's a very interesting uh, space that we don't hear a lot about. All we do is we go to a museum and we see it, and we're like, oh, okay, uh, you know, we had money, we bought it, but. But there's actually a lot more to it, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think it was during the time that I also realized like there are private collectors in the US, like wealthy mm. individuals who can buy a dinosaur fossil, real one, for three million and just display it in your house. Yeah. You know, yeah. you go to Ikea, you buy a nice <laughs> uh, flower pot or something. These people buy yeah. fucking dinosaur fossils for three yeah. million to yeah. put in their house. Yeah. Um, and they go so to, yeah, so, and they don't like buy it through like legitimate, I mean, not to say it's not legitimate, but they literally go to like uh, expos and conferences and all that. Yeah. And they just buy them there, right? You know? That's the it's ultimate like, flex, no? That's yeah, the it's not flex. like they, they, turn up, they turn up at the archaeological dig site and then they, oh, you know, I'm taking care of it. They literally just go to some expo or conference and then they, they make a bid and then they buy it. <laughs> That's right? yeah. Can you imagine they go to their friends' house, oh, your painting is from where? Oh, 1300, yeah. is it? Oh, <laughs> you know, my art piece <laughs> is 4 million years old. No, yeah, what yeah, fucking yeah. 4 million? 100 million years old. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking flex. If you see yeah. someone with a dinosaur fossil in their house, right? You know they next level already. Yeah, yeah. The tail stretches from the kitchen to the and then to the the head goes all the way to the living room, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, correct, correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay, uh, yeah. cool, man. Uh, yeah. Uh. So after this 
kind of heavy topics. What is your one short comment? I know what your one short comment is going to be. Okay, I know, <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay. No, actually, actually, so, if if it's about the if it's about the 2007 thing, I think we're still running the poll on Instagram, so maybe we'll wait. No, oh, on Instagram, then. on Instagram, on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Ah. Just just put it up last night. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So so then uh my my comment of the week was something posted just recently by Big Sloth Boy, long time mm. commenter on our Reddit, who posted another uh picture with a sign saying "Beware of cyclists." They're um, uh, swear word I don't think I should say on, on the podcast but then the mm. caption was Terrence was reportedly seen walking away from this area uh, I mean mm. I, I just enjoy when people post post stuff like that that's not really related to a topic uh, so yeah, yeah shout out to you man yeah. cheers man yeah. Yeah. so it's not a meme well, like, right or is it, it's just a it's not a, a meme it's not a meme it's just a yeah, picture yeah, yeah. That, that made him think of, made him or her think of you like. yeah um my comment, my comment, my once you comment, I guess it's from our most recent podcast about from Original Goat. Because we had a long discussion about the word hinterland, right? So mm. Original Goat once said, didn't you guys take geography in school? Hinterland refers to region that is serviced by a city. In colonial days, Singapore's hinterland was Malaya where rubber and tin were produced and exported through Singapore. Conversely, foreign goods were imported through Singapore and distributed throughout Malaya. The sensitivity is that the hinterlands were usually poorer then the metropolis, mm. so calling a region a hinterland, can be viewed as looking down on people from that region. You took geography, mm. right? When you were in school? Yeah, I did, I did. And do you remember any mention of hinterland? Actually, now I do. <laughs> oh, you do? Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> I took geography in secondary school at JC, man. Ah, uh, you know, JC not JC. Like, sec- no, secondary school, JC. secondary school. Yeah, yeah secondary yeah, yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, hinterland, that's true. Mm, ah. Yeah. Although, although I, I, I must say that when I... I Google hinterland, uh, this aspect of it didn't come up. Like, but if it's a term that is used uh in, in, in your geography, I can I can see I can yeah. see how it's used that way, like, yeah. Yeah, correct, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, interesting to interesting, know. Interesting, man, interesting. Thank you, original good one, for this yeah. clarification. Yeah. Sweet. And what about your one shot thing, man? Um actually I guess the the you know, the since we were just talking about that topic, like, my one short thing uh, is that uh, Indiana Jones 5 is coming soon. Mm. And uh, I think just a couple of weeks ago, there was a, there was a Disney event where there was an unveiling of uh, you know, the, the, the trailer and the cast and, and everything. And, and uh, it seems like there's a lot of early buzz about it. Uh, you know, it's by the director, of, of, uh, the director who did Logan, the, the send-off for, for Wolverine, mm. right? And mm. uh, yeah, so if there's anyone to like close off Indiana Jones, uh, the the whole Indiana Jones franchise, because Harrison Ford is getting, I mean, he's getting old, right? Yeah, mm. I think mm. I think James Mangold is a good choice, lah. So yeah, I, I I believe there was also a leak of a early trailer online. I haven't actually seen the trailer myself, but just generally, I I just love it when when you know there's a new Indiana Jones movie coming out. Because the last time that, that it came out was, uh, I think, 2008 or something like that. La. And, mm. and, you know, it took, uh, it's a very beloved franchise for me. But, um, yeah, it, it doesn't have that same huge fan base that Star Wars has either. So now mm. just enjoying the, you know, this general buzz about it. And then I'm seeing, oh, there's a there's new Indiana Jones toys and all that coming out. I'm, like, pre- getting pretty excited about the movie. Yeah. And I just hope it doesn't disappoint. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. Wow, that's cool, man. Mm. Did they give any timeline? I think it's coming out next year, if I'm not wrong, 2023. But but yeah, Harrison Ford took the stage and 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 he said, you know, this is a good one. And and yeah, like Kingdom of the Crystal, the the fourth Indiana Jones movie, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, was a uh, uh yeah, wasn't that well reviewed lah by most people. So mm. I, I really got I got high hopes for this one, and I'm hoping that we don't get disappointed lah. Yeah, I see, I see. That's yeah. cool, man. Cool, cool. Yeah, how about you? Uh my one short thing was um just through a random newsletter I subscribed to, I found a link to a letter uh written mm. by an ex producer of Nirvana. So okay. I don't know if there are people young enough who have never uh heard of uh, Nirvana. Who I mean who yeah. listen to this podcast but never heard of Nirvana. But Nirvana is one of the most iconic rock bands of all time. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean they did only three albums. But the lead singer, Kurt Cobain, was like a musical genius and he died young, like 27, of a drug overdose. Mm. But this letter, 
from the Letters of Note compilation. Have you heard of the Letters of Note? No, I haven't. It's no. a it's a compilation of historical letters that that somehow were compiled into this book from very mm. notable individuals, lah. Okay. Um, and it's just letters in their lifetime that were influential in their life. So, okay. this one comes from Steve Albini, who was at uh, the producer of Nirvana's third album, and it's just a letter he wrote to Nirvana. Uh, he typed it out, and he mm. just talked about why they should hire him as a producer, lah. And okay. it's cool because. You know, like if if anyone listening is in the creative world, or or if you know people in it, there's always this balance between okay, there's the creative side of things, but then you got your client, and sometimes it just too many cooks spoil the broth, lah. But his letter mm. was very militant, saying, okay, my philosophy is that a lot of producers see music as a project, and yeah. they see the band as one piece of the project. No, for me, the band is utmost priority. You know, okay. I will do whatever it takes to to let you bring your vision to life. And then he was just saying that you know if if the record takes more than a week, somebody fucked up because you should never stretch out projects like this. And he just goes on to list these things that even if I read, I'm like, wow, this guy, he has passion. Mm. He's like no nonsense. And even he said, don't he said pay him like a plumber. Like we agree on a rate. I don't want any mm. royalties of your album. My job is to make it as good as possible. After that's yours. So it's just an interesting mm. read, uh, coming from someone who's um in the creative space. But I just think, yeah, it's just it's just a, a nice read lah. And Mm. The letters of note they just made me remember. Also, some other people were raving about it a few years ago. I was like, "Hey, shit, that's that's kind of cool." But yeah, it's a mm. it's an easy and nice read. Interesting. And where do you find yeah, it? Yeah. You just found it uh, on a newsletter. Huh? Yeah, some newsletter I subscribed to. It was uh, one of their recommended recommended readings. I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." Um, it, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, man. Cool. cool. And all these links will be in the show notes, including the links to those reports. Which yeah. uh, Straits Times and today, please, please have it in some article. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Help, help us, help us out a bit in our whole research process as well, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, cool, man. Cool. All right, have a great um, long weekend. Have... Uh, happy Deepa Valley to everyone. Yeah, man. Sweet. Yeah. All right, bye, bye.